For the past three years, the Science of Reading Star Awards have honored educators who are beacons of light, guiding their classrooms, schools, districts, and most importantly, students through transformations with literacy. Now join us as we honor this year's winners at a special celebration event, which will feature celebrity keynoters and past podcast guests, Mitchell Brookins. Two years ago, one of my students as a school administrator came to me on the playground and he said, Mr. Brookins, I want to be like the other kids. And I said, what do you mean? He said, Mr. Brookins, I want to learn how to read. And Malcolm Mitchell. When I scored a touchdown, they either probably put my name in a newspaper, people probably tell me good job all around town. But when I finished one book, no one ever said anything. So which one am I more likely to repeat? Find out more information and register for the 2024 Science of Reading Star Awards ceremony at amplify.com slash Star Awards celebrations. That's amplify.com slash Star Awards celebration, all one word. These are challenging times, and we respect your unwavering commitment to your students. At Amplify, we are working especially hard to support you. And as we all grapple with what it means to focus on the science of reading in a new world of remote learning, we're committed to walking with you through the unknown. Welcome to Science of Reading, the podcast. I'm your host, Susan Lambert. Join us as we talk with experts to explore what it takes to develop joyful, confident, and capable readers. On today's episode, I talk with Mary Clayman, director of the DC Reading Clinic. The DC Reading Clinic has a twofold mission, to help close gaps for struggling readers and to develop teacher expertise in reading science. It's a really unique program, a one of a kind in the nation. Mary talks about all aspects of the clinic and how they are improving both teacher quality and student outcomes. Welcome, Mary. We are really excited to have you as a guest today to hear all about your work out there in DC. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored to be a guest. Um, As you know, we always like to start by asking our guests to talk about their own journey and how is it that you ended up in this early literacy space? Sure. Um, So my career as a teacher started in upper elementary grades and it's really very early on in my career. My eyes were open to the need for really great training for teachers who are working with kids who are below grade level in reading. So um, I started in upper elementary grades teaching mostly reading um, and often having, even though I was teaching general education, a couple intervention groups working with students who had decoding deficits. Um, So early on I was trained a structured literacy program and was working with students in small groups. And after about five years of doing that, um, I had the realization that it was going to take a lot more training and a lot more graduate level research um, to really understand how I could best meet those students need. And anyone else who's been in my position knows you're constantly searching for um, better and more efficient information to make sure you're reaching the needs of your students. Hmm. Um, That's Can I stop you just right there? Because it's kind of interesting that you say that you were early on trained in a structured literacy environment, because that's not what we hear across the country. 
No, definitely not. I had, I had the pleasure of my first school, um, actually paid for my first training. Since then, I've paid for a lot of my own trainings, which I'm sure a lot <laughs> of your listeners have experience with as well. But yeah, I was really lucky. Um, in my first year, I was uh, trained in a structured literacy program, a systematic phonics program, because the principal had me working with small groups of students who are well below grade level in fifth grade. Um, so these students needed pretty intensive phonological awareness and phonics for me. Mediation. Um, and Got this it. was 12 or 15 years ago. Um, but even with that training, uh, after five years, I said, oof, I definitely need even more training. And so that's kind of the first um, glimpse into me realizing how much really intensive training and diagnostic decision making it takes to make expert reading teachers. So after five years, um, I went to go get my reading specialist license um, and I went to graduate school, the reading specialist program at Teachers College. And it was there that my eyes were really, really opened um, <laughs> because through the reading specialist program there, I uh, participated in a clinical practicum through the Dean Hope Center. So the Dean Hope Center um, employs graduate students like myself uh, to work with students who have decoding deficits over the course of a semester or a year. So I had two clients. One was a seven-year-old student. One was a 66-year-old student um, who had wow. a pretty severe, yeah, decoding deficit. Um, and so I was tasked with remediating those deficits over the course of a year, several sessions a week under the supervision of my professors. Um, and I remember this funny story. I remember asking one of my professors, so there's no magic solution for every child or every adult? And she said, no, <laughs> it's hard work and study of language and research and theory and um, making, again, diagnostic decisions. So um, I also have kind of a funny story. I remember when I came back to DC after my graduate schooling, I remember Googling DC Reading Clinic. And this was almost 10 years ago at this time. And of course, nothing existed yet. Um, so I actually, after my reading specialist license, came back and worked as a reading specialist, a special educator, uh, a general education teacher in DC public and charter schools. Um, and then I can share a little bit more about how the conversations around the clinic came to be. But after about five more years of teaching, I um, worked with a colleague to start the DC Reading Clinic because of this immense need for both training and remediation for uh, some of our students who are farthest from tackling the code in DC. Wow, what an interesting story. And I think there's like more to unpack with your, your work with both a seven-year-old and a 60-something-year-old, but mm -hmm. maybe we should mm -hmm. save that for another episode. Um, but, uh, but bless you for the hard work that you put in uh, and the journey that you took. And so to sort of dive right in then, tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing there now at the DC Reading Clinic. What is it? Like, what do you do? How long have you been in existence? Sure, absolutely. Um, so the DC Reading Clinic is a dual mission clinic. So we aim to uh, train aspiring reading specialists in the science of reading and structured literacy 
while meeting the needs of K-2 students who are behind or below grade level in reading, specifically in decoding. Um, and so we do those at the same time through a clinical practicum, just like I had done at the Dean Hope Center. So it's a graduate level practicum. Our, our teachers get credit through a local university and they commit uh, between 60 to 80 hours over the course of a semester learning about the science of reading through their coursework. And then, because it's a clinical practicum, immediately, uh, two more times a week, applying that information in one-on-one -on -one clinical settings with their assigned student or client. Um, and so it's a clinical practicum. We also have a couple other things that are unique about our model, um, but the end goal is to make sure that we have an excellent reading instructor in front of every student in DCPS. Hmm. And so I know that there's a couple different locations, is that right, within the district? So it's not just one particular physical center? Right. There are two uh, locations in D.C. right now. And when was your first year? I know you said you Googled D.C. Reading Clinic 10 years <laughs> ago, so you must, have, you must have saw the need then. But when was your actual first year of existence? Uh, so we just turned a year old. Uh, so we started in January of 2019. Happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> Did you have a celebration? <laughs> oh, no, we didn't have a celebration. But I think that um, one of the most amazing things about being a year old is most of our teacher applicants now come from referrals from our alumni. Um, and so the response has been overwhelming. So I would say that our birthday gift um, was the number of applicants um, that came from referrals of teachers who said that this was you know, the best training they'd received in their professional careers. Wow, that's exciting. And how many have you, so how many alumni do you have and what did that application look like this year then, the numbers? Sure. Um, well, I'll start, when, when we first started, we had over 100 applicants for those first 12 spots of DCPS teachers. Um, so that was the response at first. Um, and then as we've um, become more ingrained in the DCPS uh, community, our, our uh, applicants are always more than we have spots for. Um, and so I can talk a little bit about that application process later if you're interested. Uh, but at this point, we've trained fully 32 teachers and we aim to train about 48 a year. And then how many applicants did you have this year? Oh boy, I'm trying to remember. I think we had 53 for 16 spots for this cohort. Wow. Yeah. That's great. That's that's really amazing. Um, we will talk a little bit more um, about the teacher's journey in just a minute, but I'd really like to, to talk to us a little bit about why you're really passionate about what you're doing. Why, why is it so important and what gap do you see that this is really filling for both teachers and students? Sure. Um, this is a great questions. Um, I think I personally am extremely passionate about making sure that students have excellent teachers in front of them. And we know, and I'm sure your listeners know, that a student who's behind at the end of second grade has a one in eight chance of catching up. And so it's extremely important to put those awesome teachers in front of kids in kindergarten, first and second grade, um, because our kids deserve to learn how to read um, to their to their 
best possible ability. Um, there's also a serious need for this program in DC. Uh, right now, if you're a teacher in DC and you want to get your reading specialist license, there are actually no undergraduate or graduate programs in reading in DC. Um, a couple different graduate schools have had to close their programs, uh, unfortunately, in the past uh, five or 10 years. Um, and so there's really not one place you can go until the DC Reading Clinic opened. There are also no clinical practicum uh, within the DC, Maryland, Virginia area. So we also really serve that need. Um, so, you know, there's the actual physical need that there is no uh, training center for teachers who want this type of training in structured literacy and the science of reading. Um, and then there's also the need that DC has seen some wonderful growth with its readers. Um, I, I'm hoping your listeners are aware of um, some of our successful data uh, with the nation's report card in 2019. But like many school districts, we struggle to reach those students who are well below benchmark and make sure that they're set up for success by the end of second grade so that they're on a positive trajectory. Um, so really the need is so significant in DC because there are no training centers um, for our teachers who are desirous of this type of training. And also because we wanna be able to reach those kids who uh, are well below benchmark and make sure that they're on grade level by the end of second grade. Yeah, it's commendable. I know you probably see a lot of teachers that come into your K-1-2 classrooms that aren't even trained in their undergraduate programs in the science of reading and how to actually teach reading in those early grades. Is that true? Yes, it's very true. And there's been a lot of reporting done around uh, graduate and undergraduate institutions adopting in the last few years standards that ensure that their teachers are prepared to teach reading, especially to our struggling readers. Um, but unfortunately, it's not every program yet. Um, and yeah. many, many of our teachers might have left their undergraduate or graduate institutions 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, I, sure. I definitely got my training without having learned about the phonology or orthography of the English language. And it's not till I went into grad school um, and went searching for this exact training, right? Um, right. That, that I was trained in phonology and orthography as one example of the things that, that you would need to know to be an expert reading teacher. Hmm. That makes sense. So when it comes to then trying to decide, you talk about how many spots you have open, how many teachers actually want to get into your program. What does that teacher journey look like? Like what is, let, maybe let's first talk about how do you, how do teachers get interested and apply and get chosen for your program? Great. I'm so excited you asked us about our teachers because our teachers are awesome. Uh, they're hardworking, they're committed, and the application process, which is the real question you asked, is kind of just the first indication of how wonderful our teachers are. Um, so the DC Reading Clinic is uh, pretty intensive. It's about 60 to 80 hours of work for the teacher over the course of a semester on top of their regular teaching duties, right? These are kindergarten, first grade, second grade teachers. They have a full day with their 25 students and then they rush over to the clinic two to three nights a week. 
So because it's so intensive, it is a paid position. Um, and so we compensate our teachers uh, with, with that stipend, with graduate level credit, and they also earn professional learning units. Because of that, uh, you know, job nature, it's a part-time job, we do have an application process like any other job. So teachers apply, um, they fill out a few essays, we have references, resumes, we do phone interviews. Um, and so we make sure uh, we vetted each teacher to make sure they can do the full commitment um, and that they're really hungry for this type of training. So they apply the semester before they begin, obviously, um, and then you asked a little bit about their journey, what they do with us. So um, that's when they start their, their semester of work. And I can explain that a little bit more. Um, yeah. Like. Yeah. yeah, please okay. do. Sure. Um, so say a teacher applies in the fall and they want to uh, do our training in the spring. They start with a day-long orientation. And then pretty quickly after, um, after we've done parent orientations and a, a few other kind of logistical aspects, uh, the teachers start their, their weekly work. And so their weekly work looks like one night of graduate level class at one of our campuses. And then two more nights a week, the teacher comes back to meet with their student um, and we have a coordinator at each of our sites who helps manage all of those logistics um, and so whatever they're learning in the graduate level class that night um, say the class is on Monday night and then they come back two more nights a week Tuesday and Wednesday night to meet with their client they're hopefully um, applying some of the techniques they learned in their Monday night class um, they do this over the course of about 12 weeks. Uh, we obviously have uh, a, less, a set lesson plan that they follow, but they're also um, you know, being very diagnostic. One of our tenants of um, our instruction is diagnostic teaching because that's uh, research-based best practice. Um, and so they're modifying their lessons as needed for their, for their students. One other really important thing to note about how we train our teachers is that every single teacher at the clinic has a one-on-one -on -one mentor. So when I hire 16 teachers for the spring, I hire 16 mentors. These are either licensed reading specialists or perhaps instructional coaches in their buildings, and they are paired with one teacher. That mentor actually is present for six of the sessions. They're either modeling or observing, and then also gives feedback on every single lesson plan. So the mentors and the teachers are really writing those lesson plans together in the beginning, and then the mentor gives feedback every weekend on the, on the lesson plan. So again, wow. kind of to sum up, the teacher's um, coursework or their entire experience looks like uh, weekly coursework, their practicum in which they're working with their student one-on-one, -on -one, and then also that mentoring from their um, assigned mentor. That's amazing. That's amazing amount of support and yes. and feedback for the teacher in an intensive process over the course of one semester, you said? Yep. Wow. And so that sort of explains why spots are somewhat limited because you have <laughs> to be able to have the mentors. Let's take one step, like just take a, a little bit of an aside with that and talk about the mentors. Like where where did you find the mentors? How did you prepare the mentors? You know, what does that process look like? That process looks like a lot of emailing. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> I can't tell you how many emails and coffees I've had over the course of the past year uh, securing excellent mentors. And I also have to give a shout out to our mentors. I hope they'll listen. Um, our mentors yeah. are fantastic. These are these are people who have very, very busy jobs mostly. Um, and they love the idea of the clinic. We get a lot of really positive feedback from our mentors as well. Um, and so you asked about the training for mentors. Um, yeah, yeah. They, they are all in from the very beginning. They also do a day-long orientation in which we dig deep on the science of reading as well. We have about two hours going into most recent research. Most of these mentors um, have been trained in structured literacy in the science reading, but we like to do a little level setting at the beginning during our orientation. And then we go very quickly into giving feedback and advice to the teachers by looking at videos of structured literacy lessons one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and so we norm on that. Mentors also get uh, coaching from the coordinators at our sites. And then we also meet informally as a mentor group. You can, you can imagine if you're a nerd like I am about reading instruction, this is a really cool group of people. Uh, so, so we'll meet, you know, uh, just informally, and we also have actually set co mentor collaboration times, uh, coaching them on how to coach their teachers um, and how to make sure that we're uh, having the best results for our students. I uh, laughed one night, my, I got home very late for my um, husband and he said, what were you doing so late at the clinic? And I said, well, we had just a fascinating discussion about high frequency word lists. And <laughs> he, could, he couldn't understand how you could spend an hour late at work talking with fellow mentors about high frequency word lists. But Dolce and Fry had us very, very upset that night. So we were talking late night about sight word lists. What am, I, and all of these are employees housed within DC public schools. So what an amazing sort of seat of learning and improvement science y'all must have there. Yeah, it's great. Um, so your teachers, let's go back to the teachers. Once they're like embedded in this sort of 12 weeks of, you know, 60 to 80 hours outside of their, uh, their regular teaching day, what happens to them or what's their journey like after they leave that semester with you? Sure. Obviously, our hope is that they're applying all of the techniques in their classroom. Most of them are K-2 teachers, general ed or special ed. So there's lots of ways for them to turnkey what they learned with us. Um, as I'm sure you know, teacher knowledge behind any curriculum, no matter what curriculum you're going back to your school to teach, uh, is one of the most important factors for making student, uh, students be able to read, right? Um, so teacher knowledge that they gain at the reading clinic is immediately applied back in their classrooms. Um, so our hope is that, you know, the knowledge they get at the clinic really improves their practice at their home school. We also do follow up coaching with the teachers, with the alumni teachers. So say they participated in the spring, that next fall, uh, clinic staff will come out to their school and help them through data, maybe watch their small groups um, and give them coaching tips on working with their struggling readers. That's amazing. So it doesn't just stop at a semester, really. You encourage like the further application. Definitely. Yeah. And do you see some of those teachers then wanting to become mentors or are you hoping that that's what happens? 
Yeah, great question. Um, currently, we have three former teachers who have graduated, for lack of a better word, to mentors, um, and they are welcome to apply. We have an application process for the mentors as well, because it is a paid position as well. So our teachers are welcome to apply. Um, our mentors usually have two really strong skill sets. They know structured literacy and the science of reading. That's one skill set. But then they've also done coaching before. Um, so if our teachers fit that bill, um, they could be excellent mentors, of course. That's great. That's great. Um, before we move on from this, let's talk a little bit about the students, um, the students that actually are involved in that one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, what do you, like, how do you select those students and, and then what do you see in terms of their progress as a part of this program? Great question. Um, students follow an application process as well to become part of the DC Reading Clinic. But that application process is initiated by their teacher. So okay. these are, this is a DCPS program. We're serving uh, DC public school students. So their teacher would refer them to the clinic. We would look at their dibbles and TRC um, and make sure that they're a good fit data-wise. And then we do um, an application from the parent. We do a phone interview. We do a phone interview with the teacher as well. Uh, just, just make sure that the student is a good fit for the program. Um, and so that's how they come to be with us. You I got it. Asked, yeah. You asked about their experience in the clinic. Um, this was a surprising thing for me, but kids love coming to the clinic. Um, you know, who wouldn't love one-on-one -on -one or often two-on-one, -on -one, because often the mentor's in the room, two-on-one -on -one attention from a loving teacher who's helping you learn to master the code after potentially years of struggling, right? So um, our kids love coming to the clinic and um, they come for 20 sessions over the course of a semester. And we do see some excellent data with our, with our students um, and we've met our goal of improving their guided reading levels and their Dibbles and TRC scores uh, every semester that we've had students. That's amazing. And then um, the, I would imagine because there's two different locations, it takes some commitment by the parent to be able to get the kid there um, to participate. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up. Our initial location was uh, centrally located in DC in between many elementary schools, but the space itself was not an elementary school. And so we had some parents who really struggled um, to get their kid there. I mean, I can imagine I'm a parent myself. It would be extremely difficult uh, to get my daughter to two sessions a week after school. Um, and so that's actually why we opened that second location. Our second location is co-located in a school that happens to be extremely close to two other schools. So uh. for the students that come from the school where we are co-located, we just pick the student up from aftercare. Uh, they go through the same application process to become part of the, the program, uh, but we can much more easily get them there because it's just a walk down the hallway. Um, and then it's also a very short walk from two other schools. We opened our second location to ensure that transportation was not an issue and that we were be able to serve a more equitable uh, slice of, of the DC population because it's not very easy to get kids across town, especially with DC traffic. 
Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's really interesting. Um, and I'm sure, like, we'll talk about goals for the future, but I'm sure it would be awesome if you uh, were able to locate, co-locate in other elementary schools to even to reach even more students. <laughs> of course, yeah. So um, before we talk about sort of your goals for the future, I'd really like to explore a little bit about the relationship between the reading clinic and the district, because I think it's kind of a unique model. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, you're giving me a chance to say that to our knowledge, we are the only clinical practicum at a graduate level sponsored by a public school system. And if any of your listeners know of any others, I would love to learn about them. Um, but I, I uh, worked with people at uh, clinical practicum throughout the country, and we don't think there's another one sponsored by a public school system. So um, I think it's a wonderful thing. I'm a DCPS employee, so I don't have to say this, but I really think it's a wonderful thing that DC has made the investment um, in training teachers at a really high level using um, the public school system. So yes, so we are a public school program. Um, I'm a DC public school employee. Um, and so we can lean on the resources of the public school system as well, right? So like our facilities and, um, you know, our copying, all of that kind of overhead um, is it's really uh, helpful to be part of the DC public school system, but also because of our access to teachers and students so we can very easily uh, make sure that we're tracking students progress monitoring through M class and all of those things because we're part of the public school system I think it just eases a lot of the kind of logistical nightmares that that would happen if we were not part of the public school system um, and yeah it's a, it's a wonderful way to ensure that public schools are training teachers at a really high level yeah, and just a shout out to DC Public Schools to say we are committed to making this a priority so much so that we're going to invest in full-time resources to support teachers uh, being trained in, this, in the science of reading. Right, right. DCPS has a, a very ambitious K-2 literacy goal of 100% students reading on grade level. And this uh, program, this clinic, would come out of that goal, right? We are extremely committed and hyper-focused on making sure that all K-2 students um, have excellent teachers in front of them so they can meet their reading goals. Um, and there's been some really promising data um, around our students making really great gains in in approaching that 100% K2 literacy goal. Yeah, amazing. And it just, you know, as I'm thinking about what you're saying and, and, and how you've described this, it doesn't just impact those kids that you're working with one-on-one -on -one to sort of close their gaps in learning, but then because the teachers are going back into the classrooms and they're K1-2 teachers, then we're really talking an impact on core instruction or tier one instruction, that preventative instruction as well. Absolutely. We call that the multiplier effect. Our teachers gain so much teacher knowledge, learn so many techniques, and then they're potentially affecting thousands more students in their lifetime. Um, and if they're committed to DCPS, they're definitely affecting DCPS students in their lifetime. Um, and so that's been one of the most powerful um, kind of visuals in, in my perspective of seeing our trained teachers back in their classroom and seeing the 
uh, data that our teachers have with their homeschool students is really inspiring. Yeah. And so that's a really good segue then to talk about what you have in terms of goals for your future. So you just celebrated your your first birthday or first anniversary, and I'm sure you're thinking about next steps, both maybe shorter term and long term. Sure. Um, I think the goal of the clinic is really high quality training um, because it one of kind of the misconceptions is that you can do this quickly, right? You can train someone in the science of reading and language and research and theory and cognition in one PD session, and you really can't, you know? Um, and so we, we're we very committed to quality training for our teachers. With that being said, we're committed to quality training for more teachers, of course, uh, so that we can meet those teachers' needs who applied and weren't able to uh, attend our uh, training right away. So um, yes, of course, we, we would love to co-locate in another school and offer the training to more teachers at more sites um, in the short term uh, to make sure that we're, we're reaching as many teachers as possible while still keeping quality strong. Yeah, and when you're thinking about just the number of spots open, the number of mentors you need, do you... Um, are you hoping that you're going to be able to open up more spots and more places for more teachers uh, in the coming years? Definitely, I think I think there's definitely capacity to open more spots for more teachers and more mentors. Um, I, do, I don't know what that exact number is, to be honest, um, because it's all about measuring and, and weighing quality against expansion. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And um, we could probably go into the whole data data analysis conversation too, in terms of tracking how stu well students are doing and, or how well students are doing in the classrooms of the people that have graduated from your program. I'm sure all of that must be a part of what you're doing. Sure, yes. Um, so we have pretty rigorous res uh, return on investment uh, reports, right? So we wanna make sure we're tracking kind of everything about the clinic. Uh, I think about it in three main ways. I think about teacher knowledge. Um, so are, are we really training our teachers? Student improvement on their reading benchmarks. Um, and then also this third more ambiguous goal, but teacher retention and teacher quality back in the classroom. It's harder to measure, um, but it is something that's really important to us. So, so I can talk about all three of those things and how we how we measure those things. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to. I, I will also mention we measure, you know, parent satisfaction, principal satisfaction. Um, so sure. it's more than just those three things, but those are the three things we measure. Um, and so you'd like me to talk about those a little bit? Yeah, just quickly talk about sure. the three of those. Sure, awesome. So the first is teacher knowledge, um, and we measure this in two ways. We wrote a uh, science of reading test um, modeled off of the knowledge and practice standards and the Center for Effective Reading Instructions test. Um, and so we give that to teachers pre-test, uh, excuse me, pre-training and post-training. Okay. Um, as you would imagine, we see great growth with our uh, with our teachers. We've met our goals, both of the cohorts we've already um, had. Um, and so teachers grow an immense amount in their knowledge around the science of reading. Um, and then to measure that teacher knowledge, we also give a post-training uh, post survey. 
Um, and we give that survey to the teacher, the mentor, and the principal of the teacher to assess whether the teacher grew. Um, so I hope that makes sense, but we basically, yeah, we um, give the teacher, a, I think it's about a 15 or 20 item survey about their uh, perception of their own growth in confidence, knowledge, and ability. And then we give basically the same survey to the mentor where he or she has to comment on teacher growth. And then a similar survey to the principal where they have to comment on the teacher's growth. So that's how we measure whether the teacher really learned anything. Um, and then, and I would, I will say that our data there is really overwhelming. Um, a hundred percent of teachers that we have surveyed strongly agree that the clinical, the clinic's professional development was high quality and that they became more confident, knowledgeable, and more able to serve students. Um, so that's how we measure teacher growth. Um, then we, for student growth, we look at three main assessments. We look at their DIPLs and their TRC. And then we look at two assessments we give at the clinic. One is a uh, phonemic awareness assessment and one is a phonics survey. And so we measure those three things, their DIPLs, their phonemic awareness, and then their, basically their decoding ability. Um, and we also look at guided reading level. And then the third, more ambiguous uh, bucket that we evaluate is the teacher's uh, commitment to DCPS and their ability to affect students in the future. And so we do that through qualitative measures, um, interviewing the teachers basically, and we ask them about their renewed commitment to DCPS and how they think the training will affect their future career decisions and their um, ability to reach students. Wow. In the future. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing data that you have <laughs> sort of on multiple dimensions to then determine you know, what the next steps in, in, in goals, goal setting is for you. Yeah. Well, this has been really interesting and super helpful. Um, and as we sort of wrap this up, I would love for you to think about one or maybe two things you really want our listeners to take away or think more about or explore more. Sure. Um, there, there are two things. Can I, can I do the two? You can, you can have two. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. So the first is to shout out our teachers one more time. Um, one of our coordinators once said to me, you know, if you're feeling down about life and you want to restore your faith in humanity, come to the clinic after school because our <laughs> teachers are rushing from their school uh, um, where they're, again, like I said earlier, with their K2 students all day and they come in before their sessions start, uh, often half an hour before their sessions start, <clears throat> excuse me to prep for their student, to ask me questions about the coursework. They're often staying half an hour to an hour after their session to receive feedback from their mentor, and they are thrilled to do it. Um, you know, these are really very committed teachers who are hungry for more knowledge about how to reach their students. And so I wanna take an opportunity to shout out our teachers. Um, the second thing that, um, you know, you asked me if there's, you know, one thing I definitely want to get across um, is that when we talk about, you know, science of reading training, it's really so much more than just one technique or one aspect of how students learn to read. And I think that in popular discussion, often the entire body of research 
of science of reading gets oversimplified to just one aspect of research. Um, and at the clinic, we believe, like Louisa Mote said, that teaching reading is rocket science. And if we're really training teachers in science of reading training, quote unquote, um, it's about providing theory, research, cognitive science, the study of English phonology and orthography, in addition to research-based and evidence-based techniques. And so um, it would just be a plea to your listeners to remember when we're discussing training teachers uh, that teaching reading is rocket science, like Moat said, and that it takes a, a long time to learn all of the different aspects of our English language and the research that's been done about mapping our English language to sound to really truly become one of those rocket scientists. Very wise words. I appreciate you uh, reminding us of that. And I just thank you so much for the work that you're doing and thank your teachers for the work that they're doing with students as well. So thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Great, thank you so much. Again, I'm really honored and thanks for um, providing this important service, this important podcast to all of your listeners. We're so grateful to our amazing guest today and to all of you making a difference in the lives of students every single day. Be sure to check the show notes for resource links from today's podcast, and we want to hear your stories and successes. Follow us on Facebook at Science of Reading the Community, or if you're looking to help implement the science of reading, send an email to sormatters at amplify.com. Tell us what guests you think we should book or tell us about the research that really excites you. And be sure to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Until next time, I'm Susan Lambert.